A reading from John chapter 17. Jesus is going to be praying, well he is praying, just before he goes to his own crucifixion. John 17, verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known, in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. And so Jesus, as we pray and as we've already heard this morning, uh, you have created us that we would know the love of the Father in us. And that we would know the presence of Jesus around us. Not as a theory, not as a teaching, but as a, a real life experience. And so we ask you, Lord, wherever we are with you this morning, that you would just take us deeper into the knowing that to be true in our own lives. And we thank you that that is your heart's desire for all of us. We ask you to make yourself known to us and continue to make yourself known in order that the love you have for us may be in us and that you, Jesus, yourself may be in us. In your name we pray. Amen. So, If Jesus were walking in the real world today, he would do this. I'm sure he would, because he used to use examples all the time. Right? Um, who's never played golf in their life before? You've never played golf? Okay, come. Come up here. Everyone else was lying Nobody put their hands up. You were the only one. Okay, what is this? What is it? A piece of iron. With and it's a golf club, right? Okay, swing it for us. Just do it. Just do it. Just, just humor me. I'm not embarrassing you. Just swing the golf club. Okay, one more time. Just for, so we don't, we make sure we... Okay, there you have a totally incompetent swing. <laughs> All right? But you know what? You know what is interesting? is that he knew how to hold it. He didn't do this. He, he, he held it like this and he actually moved it in, in something that is a kind of prehistoric version of a golf swing, right? Very good. Thank you very much. You may sit down now. Now, what's the point of that? Not to humiliate Ted. The point of that is, is that... I to encourage us to encourage us with the reality that um, I mean you can watch golf maybe you can hear about golf you could read about golf you could say well I'm not a golfer and somebody might say how do you know well I can't hit the ball how do you know well I tried once it wasn't very good hmm Why are you following Jesus? 
Most of us are like Ted with that golf club. We've read it, we've watched it, we've sort of participated in it, but when we actually come to do it, it looks a bit pathetic. Are you thinking, oh John, you're getting heavy and depressing. Yeah, I am. But really not, not so. Um, you want to see a good swing? Here you go. <laughs> Relax, I'm only teasing. It's true though, good swing. How do you get a good swing? This isn't a good swing, but you won't know the difference. If a good swing is you've got to do the whole arc, all right? Now, I've swung a golf club since I was about 15. I can't play the game very well, but I can hit the ball reasonably sometimes. You've got to groove your swing. You've got to practice. You've got to do it again and again and again and again. Hitting a golf and you know what? You could do this. I mean, I can pretend here and say, hey, man, I'm a good golfer. And you go, oh, he can hit the ball. Look at that. But there's no ball here. So I can fool you and say, I've never hit a ball in my life. I've just practiced in front of the mirror doing this. You go out into, the, into a golf course and you put a ball in front of the, the club and you hit the ball and then you go, this is another whole learning experience. I look pretty good in front of the mirror doing it to fresh air. What am I trying to say? There are lots of people who probably could play a very good game of golf. But they do what Ted does. They go, well, it feels totally awkward and I don't know what to do. And you go, well, all you need is somebody to help you. All you need is somebody to say, well, you need to stand like this, you need to address the ball like that, you need to come here, and then you just need to follow this through. And so after a while, most people would be able to be respectable. But you cannot play golf, and you cannot get fit. Let's use two analogies. If you read about it, and you watch it, and you never do it, And one of the reasons why some of us, maybe many of us, get discouraged, one of the reasons why nothing seems to change in our lives with God is because we don't give him any time to groove our swing. We don't give him any time to help us learn how to to, to play this game properly. And I just want to encourage you with that because you see, in Acts chapter, we're going to look at Acts chapter 8. It's all about God trying to get through to the disciples that life isn't as usual. Life isn't the same as it used to be. What was the radical thing about Jesus going to the cross and rising again and pouring out his spirit? When he poured out his spirit, he said, there is power and presence available like has never been available in the world before. So it's not business as usual. I come to help you. So I'm thinking about Stephen, the guy that we talked about last week. Stephen was a man who, uh, when the disciples, the apostles were going to, they were getting very busy, the church was growing, um, and they were 
coming to the same old story that often happens when you get lots of people together. Some people get jealous and some people get, feel misunderstood and some people feel neglected. And so they're saying, well, how are we going to do this? And so they said, well, it, it manifests in the widows of the Hebrews and the Greeks and they, they felt there was racism and they felt some people were being neglected. And so they said, why don't we get seven people, leaders, to, to look after this area of, the, of looking after the widows? And so they selected seven men, and one was Philip, and one was Stephen, and there were some others. And they, they, we talked about last week that, that, you know in church you have the spiritual people, and then you have the people who do stuff? Have you ever come across that? And I'm practical. I serve the Lord by doing stuff. Which actually translated means I'm scared of that stuff, so I'm more comfortable here. And, and the early church didn't do that. They said, we want men who are full of the Holy Spirit, and who know Jesus to be those who are working at these tables. Because they didn't accept that you could have these grades of Christians. And so Stephen and, and Philip were two of those men. And Stephen was the one who ended up going and speaking to the authorities about uh, why they were doing what they were doing. And we talked last week about how he went right out beyond where he, he might have gone if he was looking after his own safety. And he, he spoke to the Jewish leaders and he ended up saying to them, why do you always resist the Holy Spirit? Why do you always resist? Every prophet that God sends to you who stands up to challenge you, you kill. And what do they do? They rise up and kill him. His word was true. Stephen could have stopped before he went that far. But he said, I can't keep quiet about what I've seen and heard and what I know. And so for Stephen, being filled with God's spirit led him to death. And in his death, as he, as he was being stoned by these wild religious people, Saul was standing there who would later become Paul giving assent, saying, yeah, that's fine, go ahead. And after that, Acts tells us there was very, a huge upheaval in the church in Jerusalem and there was a lot of persecution led by Saul and people scattered everywhere. What does that tell you? Because one of the clues of reading the scriptures is reading between the lines, reading around the words, not just reading words. What does that tell you? In the early church, as it was starting, there was violence. The Spirit of God was poured out. People were set free. And people were killed. We're living in a world where in many churches, I would guesstimate today, there will be the sermon about the end times. There will be wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and violence and God is coming, watch out. I don't see the point of those sermons myself. I do want to say though that with the earthquakes and the violence and Libya and all that happens, we just have an illustration of life is chaotic and God says I will be with you in the midst of it. And the Acts of the Apostles is a testimony to that. Because in the Acts of the Apostles, you see this life 
If I had written the script, Jesus' spirit would be poured out and the church would sort of open up and everybody would be happy. But what you have is a kingdom conflict going on. It starts at the cross, it starts before that and it just moves out. But there is violence and there's chaos and there's unfairness and there's brutality. And you have Stephen, who Philip, I'm sure they probably were friends, Stephen gets killed and this violence breaks out Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there's great joy in that city. There's this bizarre thing that goes on in Acts where there's killing and there's joy. The disciples get beaten, they come out rejoicing. So what Carol was saying is very, very important. How do I enter into joy? How do I enter into hope and victory, even when circumstances are all over the place? Do you want to see this place filled to the brim? And I'm not talking about numbers merely, but I'm just saying, do you want to see it? It will happen when Christians demonstrate to others a joy and a peace that is beyond understanding and a confidence in God that doesn't beat other people up and doesn't gossip and complain. And so Pete Philip, instead of saying, I'm not going out there anymore, it's scary, he goes down to Samaria and he starts talking about Jesus. And he starts seeing God working through him in miraculous ways. And a guy comes up to him who's a Simon the Sorcerer. He's the, the sort of big act in town and he's held this territory for a long time. And he's a magician. And he knows how to use the occult power to his advantage. And then he comes up and Philip starts healing people and Simon can't do that. And Simon, because his language is power and influence, is very impressed by Philip. And he actually becomes a Christian. And I don't know what his motive was. It might be absolutely genuine. I mean, lots of people become Christians for all kinds of reasons. It doesn't mean they're complete. But they, he said yes to Jesus in some way as Philip spoke and taught. And Simon was baptized. What's interesting to me is what happens then. Because the apostles in Jerusalem, they, they've got this like herding cats Christianity moving out. And there are all kinds of things going on and they don't know what to let go of and what to take hold of, what to say, that's okay, this isn't okay. And they heard that in Samaria, which is, this is even, this is non-Jewish now, that these people are, are, are worshipping Jesus. They're saying yes to God and they're kind of in this space of having to grow themselves. And so Paul, Peter and James, uh, Peter and John go down to Samaria to see Philip And they arrive, and they, the first thing they seem to ask them is, what happened with you? Yes, we believe Jesus is the Messiah, I guess. I mean, I'm not saying that cynically. That, that they probably checked that out. 
But they seem to be really concerned about saying, did they receive the Holy Spirit? They said, well, they were baptized into Jesus. And they were saying, did they receive the Holy Spirit? Now what I'm interested in is, what were they expecting to see? Because you see, what we've done is, if I raise up the area of the Holy Spirit, most of the time what rises up is theology. Which is always quaint, because very, most of the people who resist the... Uh, let me be careful here. Um, quite often, people who are resisting the, the Holy Spirit and the, the, you know, don't expect any signs, don't, aren't living an incredibly powerful life. And so I want to pay attention in my own heart to what was it that these disciples were doing? Why were they focusing so much on this? And what were they expecting to see? Because what happened was they, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of hands, he offered them money and then Peter went ballistic. And Peter said, you do not get this from money. Get out of here. I find Peter very encouraging. He can get away with stuff. At least there's hope. But he, he gets really angry and sends off Simon and says, don't you dare even come here with your money and pretend that you can get it. And Simon kind of goes, whoops. And says, well, please don't let anything you've said to me right now come true. Scary stuff. They're wrestling with this. And I actually wouldn't be at all surprised if Simon really just came around and he got it all together and he was a very powerful person in the church. Wouldn't surprise me at all because he had the guts to wrestle with it. But Peter and John were looking for something and they were providing someone. And they seemed to be very hung up on the, the Holy Spirit being released in people who follow Jesus. I wonder whether it wasn't because they were followers of Jesus. And they had followed Jesus for three years while Jesus walked on this earth. And they had followed him and watched him. And they had tried to be like him. I had an uncle. His name was Paul. He was fastidious. Fastidious means everything's neat and tidy. And I would spend the weekend occasionally with him. I'd go up and he always smoked. I always remember him lighting up a cigarette in the car. I love the, the smell of that first little bit of burnt tobacco. Then it's all cancer. But he was fastidious. Everything was in its place. You go into the house and everything's... He's one of these guys, you give him a Christmas present and he opens it and you come on. But everything is neat and tidy. And so I would sort of get inspired. And I'd come home and I'd tidy my desk and I'd tidy my room and I'd want to be like Paul. It lasts about three days. And it was like, forget this. But it always impressed me. I mean, he was very fastidious, but he... You know, he couldn't get his act together and he had three divorces and it was, it was a, a mess. But nevertheless, that was just, what I'm saying is trying to copy him didn't work too well. And then these disciples had walked with Jesus and they had, and Peter particularly had argued with Jesus. And then when 
they came to the moment of real testing around the cross, they absolutely didn't have it in them. And so they all disappeared. Because they, they couldn't understand it, and the circumstances were terrifying. So lack of understanding and circumstances terrifying. Guess what happens? I'm out of here. That's when you go to drugs and sex and rock and roll, right? Your circumstances are terrible, your mind doesn't understand, and your heart's flapping all over the place. Forget it, I'm out of here. It's how our culture lives right now. Or I need to go away. Holidays can be drugs, but that's another story. So, why did the disciples come to Samaria and say, Have you guys received the Holy Spirit? The crucifixion happens. Jesus reappears. They go, wow, this is true. This is, I mean, more true than we ever imagined. He's alive. He is God. He's amazing. We're terrified. He's amazing. We're terrified. It's all whirling around and gradually it settles down. Then he says to them, now guys, I'm leaving now. You wait in Jerusalem for six, he doesn't tell them how long. That's, I think God's unfair like that. He doesn't tell us how long things are going to take. And you kind of want it to happen. So if he told me, wait in Jerusalem, I reckon it's going to be next tomorrow. This is encouraging to you. Pay attention to this. This is really, 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 really important. Why? Because I always want it to happen tomorrow. And I'm waiting in Jerusalem and two days down the road I'm going, ah, let's go out for a coffee. No, he said, wait here. And three days, come on. Four days, ah, let's go. Thomas says, I wouldn't leave if I were you. You know what happened to me? Two weeks. Oh God, where are you? Three weeks. Let's go and tell people about Jesus. We've got a program, a DVD set, let's go. Mm, he said, wait. It's like one of those sheepdogs. Wait. You going through this in your life? Where's God? Wait. I mean, six weeks is a long time. And God always seems to do that. And then six weeks is up and suddenly, woof, fire, Holy Spirit. Peter just, I mean, he, what happens to Peter? They're making sounds that they've never made before. People gather and say, what's going on? Because there's no privacy in this place. And then Peter stands up, the one who's run away, and says, well, it's like this. And he starts speaking, and I think Peter probably said, Peter, what are you doing? Where does all this come from? You're just putting it all together. It sounds quite good. And people go, he speaks with a Galilean accent. He smells like fish, yet he's talking sense. And even the friends, probably the other disciples, said, what happened to Peter? He's filled with the... It's the Holy it's Jesus speaking in him. He's sounding like Jesus. He stops speaking and people say, what do we do? And they said, be baptized. And he says, oh, I didn't expect to say that either. And then suddenly 3,000 men say, we want to follow Jesus. And Peter says to John, <laughs> you try that. No, he doesn't. Of course he doesn't. He goes, wow. And Jesus in his spirit says, that's why I told you to wait. You wouldn't have got 3,000 people in six weeks anyway. And he found things in himself that he had never known before and it looked like Jesus. He came up and he walked, you know, he walked past somebody and, and he heard a little voice saying, 
I want him to heal today. And the man says to him, give me some money. And he says, I don't have any money. But in the name of Jesus, what I have, get up and walk. He gets up and walks. Comes chasing around after him, can't keep this guy quiet. The authorities see. And they call Peter and John again to give an answer for themselves. They go and stand in front of these guys and they say, why are you doing this? And he says, well, it's what Jesus does. They say, well, stop doing it. So we can't. And we won't. Well, then you'll be flogged. I guess you'll have to flog us then. They go into prison. They're unfairly treated. They get flogged. They come out. They meet with their friends and say, Lord, we bless you that you are the God of all creation. We thank you that you're over the Romans and everybody else. Send us out and let your power be seen even more. So off they went. And more people were healed. And more people came to know Jesus. Why? Because the disciples had the scars on their backs. And they had the Holy Spirit in them. And they stared down their opposition with love and friendship. And they said, we have power that is the risen Jesus. And if our bleeding bodies are testimony to that, so be it. You see, Peter and John knew the difference between who they were before the cross and before the Holy Spirit, and they knew the difference of who they were after they had been filled with the Spirit. And there was no, no comparison. So they put two and two together and said, when Jesus comes into somebody, when we baptize them, we need to pray for the, his Spirit to fill them so they don't have to go through what we went through, which is trying to follow Jesus in our own strength. The Holy Spirit is today what Jesus was for the disciples when they lived on this earth with him. That's why he said, I have not left you as an orphan. That's why he said, in me you will have power, you will do great things. I would guesstimate that most of us in this room totally underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And we're continually praying God to God to give us stuff. And he says, the tap's inside. Lord, give me water. And he says, the tap's inside. Lord, give me water. The tap's inside. Lord, give me water. And eventually he says, the tap's inside. But if the tap's inside, then I can access it any time. Yep. But if the tap's inside, it means that the fruit that's growing on my life bears witness to what, how open that tap is. Yeah. But if the tap's inside, it means that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, which seems to be the fruit of the river that flows out and the, the, the leaves of healing on either side of that river that flow from the temple, and I am the temple, if, if the tap's inside, then the fruit on, in my life bears witness to who I really serve day by day. Yes. What does that mean? You either live in your weakness with a closed tap or you start opening the tap and let the Holy Spirit give you victory. So the Holy Spirit was poured out on all believers who wanted it. But we need teachers and we need company. 
Because even though the tap's inside and it might be open and God says, I'm here for you, he says, help one another. Groove the swing. Help one another groove the swing. And to help one another groove the swing means that we need to gather together. It means that we need to be teachable. It means that we need to allow God to use people around us to help us become what we are not yet. Every single one of us, all the time. So there's no need for discouragement. There's just need for, please help me with this. I'm not doing very well here. Does that make sense to you? Because if you go through the, the, the Acts, and we're finished now, we go through the Acts, what did the disciples expect to see as a fruit of the Spirit? Go through Acts and you'll see it. They spoke in tongues, the language of the kingdom. Peter was released to speak with authority and boldness. There was confidence in them. They met together. They cared for one another. You can read these in the first eight chapters of Acts if, if you'd like to. There was power to heal through all kinds of people. There was courage to suffer and to endure hardship. There was generosity, finances, and anything you need, we will help each other supply their needs. There was discernment of spirits, in other words, discerning what is God and what is not a God. We won't talk about Ananias and Sapphira. Those were the two who came in and said, yeah, we've given our money to the church, and Peter again says, no, you haven't, you're lying to me. And they dropped dead. That's scary stuff. So my... I believe what uh, we're being reminded of, and you know, I could give this talk week in and week out, is just uh, don't neglect the Holy Spirit. Don't neglect the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is your best friend. He makes Jesus alive. He makes the love of the Father real. And he gives you strength when you're at your weakest. And the way you grow closer to God is you listen to the resistance that builds in you over things and then you just realize that that is the next area that he's actually pointing out and saying, let's work with this. Instead of getting discouraged, be thrilled that he's looking at that now. But you always need the part where he's saying, I love you, I care for you, I'm here for you. It's not about performance, it's not about money, it's not about education. It's not about how many times you attend something. It's not about anything that you and I can bring. It's about us receiving what he has already given. Let's stand. And why we do this is because it's like grooving the swing. It's learning to receive. I am not speaking here this morning to entertain myself or you. I'm, I'm speaking here this morning... Daring to believe that God can speak through me. That's all. And daring to believe that there might be one word in all of what's said this morning for you. But I can only speak it out in faith and humility. I can't, I can't receive it for you. And so we stand because there's an element here that we want to practice, which is, Lord, I want to receive from you this morning something, and so I'm standing to actually do something. And all I'm trying to groove in the swing in us is that, that getting used to listening, standing, receiving, and then working it out. So together we just stand here and ask you, Lord, to uh, fill us afresh with your spirit.
fill us afresh and if there's something in you that is resisting if there's something in you let's pretend there's a tap in you is it open or is it closed is it half open are you scared of it is it rusty it's never been open all you need to do is say Jesus I ask you to open the Holy Spirit up in me I welcome you Holy Spirit I mean I know that you know we use these phrases like I'm not a very good Christian or I don't have that kind of faith and all that stuff well God says I know you know and it's not about you so just let me help you so Jesus is right here for you right now his arms around you and he looks at you and he says you are my child you are my son you are my daughter I told you this last week but you've forgotten already I love you I love you I love you I love you and I don't just love you I, I empower you so what can I do for you how can I wash your feet and you go like Peter no 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 no. you can't wash me he said yes how can I wash your feet today Receive my spirit. Receive my spirit. For some of us, God is saying, I want you to serve me. And as you serve me, the cries of your heart will be received. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your life and your truth and your love. And as we come to break bread, we just ask you to continue to fill us with your presence. That we might be a people of joy and power and hope. everything that you have asked for and everything you need is given to you in Jesus right now now it's walking it out so Father we pray for the courage to do that and the joy to do that together Amen we're going to sing a 